is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to Remote Control, the Variety's TV podcast. I'm Deborah Birnbaum. Every week, we'll bring you conversations with some of the best and brightest in television, working behind and in front of the camera. On today's episode, Cynthia Littleton sits down with James Spader, the star of The Blacklist. Stay tuned. The occasion that we're talking about today is Blacklist hit recently hitting that milestone 100th episode. How did that feel to you to, to be able to look back and see 100, you know, hour long increments of your professional life? Uh, I didn't. You didn't? No. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're, we're For me, it was the 11th episode of a 22-episode season. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the time, I'm having... I At any given time, I have about three different episodes in my head. Um, three or four different episodes in my head. So I had sort of lost track of where we were and what we were up to until my the way that I was able to sort of identify that episode separately from the sort of ongoing stories and so on was that Nathan Lane was worked on it with me and a terrific uh, foil for red. And he was great fun. I, I really enjoy Nathan so much. Um, so, so that really was fantastic in terms of the hundredth episode. It's a lot, you know, there's no question that a hundred episodes of an hour long drama is a lot of television, but I tend to look at things from a broader perspective. And and ultimately, uh, the 100th episode is also... Uh, it's it, the, the milestone aspect of 100 episodes has uh, has become, to a certain degree, obsolete. It was 100 episodes was a milestone when syndication sales were made after 100 episodes. In a very uh, different era for television. In a very, very yeah. different era for television. And now... 100 episodes is a milestone because the lifespan of a series very often is shorter than that. Um, uh, certainly uh, on cable it is, and and even in broadcast, I think, to a certain degree. Yeah. Um, but for me, I look at our series as... I look at our series as a strange marriage, strange bedfellows, in that it's this sort of serialized story that's been that's married to a procedural and uh, sometimes they are wonderful bedfellows and sometimes they are strange bedfellows Mm -hmm. but we're able to I think it is actually I I think it's I think it's one of the secrets to the success of the show 
uh, it allows the procedural aspect of the show allows for the serialized aspect of the show to um, take a rest, take a breath for a moment, mm-hmm. and devote a couple of episodes or a few episodes in a row to just uh, an entertainment and and to allow the sort of ongoing unfolding and unpeeling layers of the serialized aspect of the show to sort of sit back for a moment and enjoy the ride. And that's, it's refreshing and, and for us and it is for our audience, I think, as well. You don't have as many, you don't, you don't have as much riding on the twist and turn in every act. You the twist and turn in every act can sometimes just be devoted to that single standalone story, and that is that's nice for us. And it allows an episode just to, it allows people to just sort of tune in and watch an episode and have some fun. And and it allows and yet it also allows our regular audience to also be able to enjoy just some fun along with their investment that they've made in the serialized storyline. Um, now, in in this episode. What was really great about this is that this also happens to be a, another fun thing for me, at least, about the show, and and that's the only way whether I can the only way that I have to gauge whether an audience is is uh, is enjoying or having fun with our show as well as whether I do. Uh, and you know, one can't predict anything, and and one it, the. the it is a fool's game to be presumptuous about or assume, make any sort of assumptions about what an audience might respond to. Right, but, right. But so all you have is your own taste, really. Your own gut, your instinct. Yeah, your own taste for, for what keeps you compelled. And this episode is also, I love this when, when we're successful in this on the show, and that is that something that seemed like just a sort of little bit of nothing in an earlier episode all of a sudden pays off in a later episode and we've been able to do that quite a lot on our show and and this was a case with this where early in our season this year I think I don't know it might have been the second episode second or third episode uh, it was a whole sort of complex storyline that ended in uh, Reddington the character I play in him acquiring this penny Mm-hmm. Um, and at the time, it didn't really. It had no relevance really at the moment. It wasn't signaled as this is a momentous moment for them. No, I he think. just wanted that penny, <laughs> and you know he's unpredictable. So, mm-hmm. well, the penny is at the crux of this episode. Um, so I always enjoy that when something comes back that seemed like nothing at the time and. It turns into something. Keeps people paying attention. Keeps keeps my interest. <laughs> <laughs> do you enjoy? Do you um, ask your showrunners and your producers? Do you do you like to know the the full arc as it's coming, or do you like to be surprised in weekly installments of what you're getting to play? When I first when I first started working in television, in any consistent way at all it was on a show called Boston Legal mm-hmm. and David E. Kelly very, yes and yeah. it started out as the last year of the practice and then it grew into Boston Legal and on that show um, I, and that show it was not serialized really very much uh, 
to a certain degree, the relationships obviously grew with, between the different characters, but it wasn't there wasn't any great sort of myth, sort of greater mythology of the history of the characters of the you know. Um, on that show, for the first time in my life, because I didn't grow up as a great TV watcher, and and so for that show, I it was the first time in my life that I really understood what a viewer the experience that a television viewer has where they have a show that they are curious and, and excited and, and anticipating what's going to happen next week when they tune in. I never really experienced that at all. And so for me, it wasn't illegal. That did happen. And I was always excited about looking forward to be surprised about the next script. And, and the collaboration that I had on that show was really confined to script by script. You mm-hmm. know, it really was... Um, it was it was an enorm it was enormously collaborative, but it really was not based on sort of arc of story because there wasn't a serialized show. It wasn't based on that. It really was from script to script. Uh, on this show, this is a very different animal, and so there's a lot of communication all through the year, mm-hmm. not just from episode to episode, but from you know sort of the first sort of half of the season right and then the second half what the breaks are uh then how that affects moving into the next season uh and then even looking at over the next couple of seasons i mean this it our show is a can be complex at times it it you know it's a show that that can function as a standalone sort of entertainment or episode caper of the week yeah, kind of I mean, thing sort yeah of a, a blacklister of the week you know it can, yeah. it can function as that but it also can function as uh, this other thing um and it, it it may come as a surprise but the the truth is is that the directions that we've taken and the decisions that we've made in terms of the show are not arbitrary. <laughs> They're not. Now, sometimes you can paint yourself into a corner and mm-hmm. you have to sort of reverse your en- reverse engineer your way out. But the fact is, there has been a plan, and there's and it's a circuitous route. But we and and we diverge certainly, and there's switchbacks and there's. You know, and we put things on hold for a little bit, but there has been a plan. There has. You feel like you know the end game for Raymond Reddington. Well, I don't think I know the end game. You I know, know the, the end, end game. game. Wow! So that that's a lot of planning on the showrunner's part. Yes, mm-hmm. it's just a lot of discussion between uh, the discussions about what this show was started. You know, at the pilot. And it sounds like it's a very collaborative environment for you with with your yes. showrunners. Mm-hmm. We start. We're talking now before the season is over. We're talking now about next year and how things how things would unfold next year, and then going into a following year. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I know this sounds crazy, but really, the show we're now in season five. Season five. And the show has been a trajectory that you can go back and look and you'll and you see a trajectory. And do you find that satisfying as an actor that you feel like It's just a very different thing that I've never mm-hmm. done before. I mean it's you know, you're 
you know, it's a, it's, a, it's on a film that when you enter a film, when you start working on a film, you know the whole of it. On a television show, the last experience I had with a television show was not that way. You know, I didn't know the whole of it. I didn't know the beginning and the middle of the end. I didn't have any sense of that. Um, on this show, it, there's still there's a hole to it all. Um, there you... is there is a beginning and a middle, middle and an end on our show, mm-hmm. and we we and we speak of it often. And that's I mean that's a lot of planning and also twenty two episodes a season. That's a lot of television. That's a lot of story and plot yes. and maneuvering. Yes. It takes as I said, you know, we can design the route to be as circuitous as we as we please, you know, and therefore the show can there can be as many switchbacks and twists and turns and so on as as you want, mm-hmm. but. Um, if you were to stretch out that circuitous route into a straight line, it would have a beginning and an end. It would be clear. That's that's great. That's a you know that I think that has become a more commonplace approach to plotting well, television. We in the had last... to, but we really had to. We had to take a very circuitous route. We need to do that because it's a broadcast. It's a network show. There's 22 episodes in a season. Right. And also, we were trying to accomplish something else. And that is, you know, you can go from point A to point to... You can go from A to Z. If you're doing a cable show, you can go from point A to point to Z in a straight line on a cable show because you're doing, you know, maybe 10 episodes or something like that. 10, 12, 13. Yeah. Um. And if anything, it's sort of, it can be clear. It can be absolute and finite. It can really be, with 22 episodes, one of the things that we wanted to do is we wanted to also attract, you know, a, a, a broadcast network audience. And therefore, right. we have to allow people to make discoveries and to have revelations in a much more sort of organic Way and in ways that sometimes they're not even aware that it's happening when it's happening, but they garner something or they come away with something mm-hmm. that leads them to something else. And we really, and to do that, we had to be able to. The procedural aspect of this show is incredibly important to this show functioning, correctly. to the overall engine of how, it, how it works. Absolutely, yeah. because that's what allows an audience to be able to watch that and absorb this other thing that's going on, this ongoing story, Mm -hmm. to absorb that without having it sort of thrust upon them. Right. And to come in at an entry point. And to come in at any entry point. Yeah. And we'll catch you up. You can come in at any entry point on our show. And, and, And you'll be caught up in an episode, two episodes. Right. Right. You know there's something between because the Because the story has been... Because of the fact that it's been that it's more circuitous like that, that you do you touch base with things here and there, and, mm-hmm. you, and you allow an audience to sort of grow with it. Um, it's been it's been a unique experience for me in in my career. Do you enjoy the fact that you have a great actor, a Nathan Lane, and Alan Alda, Famke Jansen, uh, you know, any number of Lance Reddick was a terrific. Blacklister, um, do you enjoy the fact that you have, you know, more often than not, you have somebody new or somebody, you know, somebody who's not part of your regular company that you're working very closely with? Do you enjoy that aspect of the nature of the production of this show? 
Well, I, you probably lose sight of it. I don't know whether you're a, a regular viewer of the show, but if you aren't a regular viewer of the show, I actually don't work with our regulars very often at all. I actually work with the people you're talking about. Those are the people I work with. I tend to work with guests on our show. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and you know, and some, you know, Elizabeth Keene, that character I work sure. with here and there. And then I also work with, you know, it, 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 sporadically I work with, generally there'll be one or two of the cast, regular cast right. members of the show that I'll sort of touch base with at different times during the course of the show. Um, but I've, there have been times where I've, you know, run into one of our regular cast members at our show, and I haven't worked with them in episodes. Wow. Mm-hmm. And do you like that? And yet, mainly I'm working with guests on our show. Now, mm-hmm. sometimes they're the blacklister, but sometimes they're not the blacklister. Sometimes they're Reddington's people <laughs> who are Right. There's such an intricate web yeah. of people and yeah. and conspiracies, and you don't just like with the Tom character, yeah. the dearly departed Tom, spoiler alert, the dearly de- departed character you know that i mean my god how many twists and turns did that character go from being in cahoots with red to not being in cahoots with red really it's a lot to keep but so you enjoy that you know kind of constantly refreshing group of actors that you're primarily working with yeah i do and i like the i like the fact that that reddington's place on the show is fluid his mo- sometimes, to, I think to you know to your credit as an actor, you're not you're never quite sure what his motivations are well, you also, on any you given. Know, and, and you shouldn't be able to physically pin him down very easily because geographically you shouldn't be able to pin him mm-hmm. down because he's the nature of his life is such that he has to be able to keep moving. Is it hard after five seasons? I mean, there was something interesting that happened in the very first season, which ultimately I don't know whether any of us were really prepared for, but. It happened, and um, I never forget that we had a conversation. All of a sudden, a, a an outline came out that we were discussing storyline before the script ever appeared. The writers and I were talking about a sort of story arc that was going to be upcoming, and the ramifications or the collateral effect of that story were going to be series-altering. Not only in terms of what the structure and dynamic of our stories are going to be within the, and the characters' relationships, but also in terms of physical production as well. Because we built this uh, set, a standing set of the post office mm-hmm. where the task force is headquartered. Sure. We built the standing set there for that. And the storyline was an incursion in that location. And I said, you understand the lack of collateral effect of this is that Redding is never going to want to step foot in that place again. <laughs> this is the headquarters for our task force. <laughs> this, this is the standing set that the studio probably yeah. paid a lot of money for. Yeah. And so we wrote to it, and the show turned into absorb that mm-hmm. blow, which, but it also, to a certain degree, really dictated and held us. It held us accountable for the truth of what these characters 
relationships were going to be. It wasn't going to be able to turn into a sort of easy paradigm of Reddington coming into the task force, you know, presenting or pitching a case, everybody's sort of coordinating and going off in their separate directions and doing their accomplishing their tasks and then checking back in with one another back at this headquarters. Right. It was never going to be that. And ultimately, would it ever have been that, really? It just should never have been that. That might have gotten a little creaky. And yet what after. made it really what made it really crystal clear was when we had the security breach at the post office, which happened again in the first season. Yeah. Within the first third or half of the first season. First third of the season. So I it it was actually fortuitous because it really forced our hand to follow to be true to what we to what we all sort of, I think, knew we had to do, which is, this is a guy who's out in the wind. Right. And Who this guy would be working in this way. He would have to work in this way. I mean, I even now, when we shoot episodes, if Reddington is in, the, in that space, that set, no one else is in there. It's been cleared out. They clear the decks entirely when he shows up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's rare. Is it hard after five seasons to keep up the air of mystery, to keep the drama of Red Reddington high? Uh, I, I just think make it's just a nature of the. I I, I don't. I, I mean, it's all relative, I guess, but I, I don't. I just making an hour-long drama is a difficult. Is a difficult task, and 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 this one is a complicated and complex one, and you know there's a lot of, you know we have a, you know there's no formula to our show. Uh, I think production might have liked it if been <laughs> one. our production team, you know, I think they were sort of hoping that we were going to get into a rhythm. But the show has never been like that. It's always a very different show every week and different, sometimes, you know, different tone and certainly different how a story unfolds. And, you know, there's. Yeah. Um, so it. But I think, you know, there, listen, there's no question that there's a burden on. There's a burden on our show to try and surprise and to. Uh, even if you predicted an ending to something, it's still that there can be something in there that is that 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 is surprising, or that you're wrong about. I mean, that's the fun thing I think in the show is to try and I like it when we try and that we allow a belief that turns out to be false. I like that. Mm-hmm. It, it's a feint to keep yeah. the yeah to keep people uh, to keep people on their toes. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Is the um, are there other again? It's being being that it is such a twenty two episode commitment. Are there other things that you'd like to do that you haven't been able to do? Movies or theater or anything because of the because of the blacklist. Uh, the first year that we did the blacklist I at the end of the season I went and did a film I did the uh, an Avengers movie uh, and had a great time doing that 
Um, but I came, I left, I wrapped, finished filming the season of The Blacklist and left two days later to go to London uh, to start filming that. And then arrived back after finishing filming that, arrived back in the States, and I think I had a week, maybe 10 days, and started shooting again on, on the full season of The Blacklist. That was a lot. Um, now, since then... Um, I've had to turn down a couple of things that were unfortunate uh, that I would have loved to have done. Uh, but the schedule just didn't work. Schedule just didn't work. Mm-hmm. And you know, at the end of the day, this is the job that I need to be able to prioritize with. But um, sometimes you're lucky. In the Avengers, it worked out. Uh, that isn't always the case. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, but, you know, sometimes that, that sometimes that works out and sometimes it doesn't. But, you know, I this will have it its inevitable end and I'll be... I probably would do a play first <laughs> and, then, and then maybe a film. A play is a wonderful antidote to, <laughs> to doing a television A very series. long commitment. Yeah. Do you have, I realize this could be a hard question to answer, but do you do you have, I know you have an, the, the story end game in mind, but do you think that you this show has one, two, three more seasons in it? Do you have a sense of like how long the shelf life of The Blacklist is going to be? I Here's what I think. I, I think that the show, because of the procedural aspect of the show, and because of how we've set up the sort of more mythologized or serialized aspect of the show, we can determine that length to a certain degree. I mean, we can can make it as long as we care to. Um, You know, if we were to go 10 seasons, we could find our way to do that. but that's twice what we've done so far, so that's a lot. Does that feel daunting? It feels a little daunting. But I must say, we sort of have to be able to end it. We should know when we're closing in on, say, the last two seasons. Sure. It would be. It would be. It would be a great disappointment, I think, for the show and the viewers um, to not to not be able to finish it off in in a fashion that allows it to still be the show that it's been, you know. So in other words, to let it to let it finish in a way that feels organic and and feels like it's done over the right period of time. Um and to me that feels like two seasons. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. So if if there if, if if the studio or the network or, you know, the powers of be are thinking that we're that we're closing in on an ending, then we should know now. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, just because we, we it, it, it would take about two, two, two seasons, I think, to sort of get to where we need to get to. For such a finely tuned, inst- for, for a story that has been yeah, so finely tuned. Yeah, for a story that has yeah. been, and, and, but also, as I said, for it to still be allowed to be where it's, where all the episodes aren't just about this winding up this serialized story that instead it's still true to the sort of marriage of this procedural aspect of the show and the serialized aspect of the show and allow them to be still 
of a piece um, and paying as much respect, creative respect, to, to, to both personalities of the show. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Do you feel like five, five years and be, you know, and beyond now that that early on, it was so clear that the central relationship was between red and Elizabeth. Does that, do you th- is that still an animating principle for you that that understanding who those two people are to each other is key to one of the mysteries? I think since the very beginning, that's been something that we've been able to park here and there and, and, take a breath from here and there. And and right now, we've actually, is a time when we are able to really take a breath from that um, because everybody seems satisfied with, you know, what they believe right now. And so I think that's, you know, and I think that's, that's as it should be, um, is that the, the, the story is at a, the story is at a point right now where that we've been striving towards which is that what you're starting to become, and it actually started much earlier than this. Uh, and we we actually, it was funny. The audience was ahead of us in a way that I think was positive. It was what I was hoping for. The first season of this show, or say season and a half of this show, uh, that's what I would hear from the press, from fans, was what the nature or the history of the relationship was between Elizabeth Keene and Raymond Reddington. And I remember somewhere in the very beginning, either the end of the first season or beginning of the second season, I remember I said, I think I will know that we've been successful as a show if, as if that question is not as important as what's the nature, the interest in what the nature of the relationship is right now between these two people. And what the relationship is between not only these two people, but also the relationships between and among the other characters within the show. Sometimes guests, sometimes regulars, Mm -hmm. and so forth. What is happening right now? That that is as important, at least given equal measure, as anything having to do with the past or the future or anything else. Um, And it just happened. Sometime in sort of midway through the second season, that's what started to happen. That really is what started to happen. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden that question didn't come up so much. Yeah, true. And so that's why organically we, over the course of then the next couple of seasons, in the way that, in the pace that seems appropriate for our show and how our show unfolds, Mm -hmm. we answer that question for our audience. Um, and because they'd stopped, they they weren't asking as much, and therefore it was a lovely time to do that. You don't want to answer a question when someone's asking it, right? When they're not even thinking about it, kind of throw it. That's what yeah. You want to exactly. When all of a sudden they become intrigued with what's going on right now, we'll answer that for you, right? By the way, that that yeah, exactly. And I love the way that unfolded. Is to we're not going to tell you this, but we'll tell you this. Well, the death of the Tom character seems like an opportunity to really, you know, she's obviously Elizabeth. Preoccupied. Yeah, exactly. Do you feel like, um, you know, I know, you know, prior to prior to this show in Boston Legal, you were primarily in the film world. Is it um, 
what's it like to for you to live with a character this long and you know into the future now is it something are you able to put red away when you're done shooting for the day or is it somebody is he somebody that you sort of feel like you live with well, I only live with them in the fact that I my work on the show does not end when I finish shooting. I go home and I work on I'm going to leave here after I speak to you. I finish shooting for the day today. I'm going to go home and work on the next script for, you know, several hours. So, you know, I, it's a, it's a it's a 7 days a week job. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's a strange satisfaction in in telling this much story about a bunch of people. There's something satisfying in that. And forcing yourself to really explore and there's something there's a there's something gratifying in that. It's a lot, but there's something gratifying in it. You have a big audience. I mean even but you know, everybody knows that television network television isn't what it once was, but even by the standard in a way it's the size of your audience is magnified because most channels get such a small fraction that a show that does upwards of seven million viewers, that's a that's a big, big show in this environment. It may not be you know, there might be sexier out, outlets like Netflix or some of the newer things, but it just in terms of but we don't know the reach. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. We have to take that on faith. Yeah. But really... Um, we don't know how many people are watching that. And I don't think, to be honest with you, I really... I, I've now done two series that have both gone past 100 episodes, well past. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you, I don't think for years anybody has known how many people are watching any show. <laughs> I really don't believe mm-hmm. it. I just don't believe it. The tool, the measurement tools. The measurement just, tools yeah. are so faulty. They're a guess at best. Oh, they are. Absolutely. They're an extrapolation off of a Completely. sample. Absolutely. And and the truth of the and truth be told, it, it's the same as polling for elections. I mean, it doesn't, <laughs> it just is not, it doesn't tell you anything. Yeah. It really doesn't tell you anything, those samples. I mean, I hate to say that to the Nielsen family, but <laughs> I mean, because... It's just the truth of it. I mean, I know because I walk the streets and I travel the world. And, and do you get a lot of oh, red? Oh, my God. I mean, it's just, it's unstoppable. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. Not Caroline, only domestically. 175? Not only domestically. We're in 175 but, yeah. countries. Yeah. I got stopped on the street in London and there was a woman who was speaking for her friend to tell me that her, how much her friend enjoyed the show in Ghana. And, you know, it just is... And and the thing, too, is, like, for instance, I remember when I was doing Boston Legal. You know, we we had a very devoted audience in Boston Legal. Yeah. But they had a clear demographic. And therefore, I could tell the limitations on the size of our audience. It would still be a big audience. And it would still be... For instance, that was a very affluent audience. And older. I have never, this has been shocking to me, but it's the truth. I have never, in over four decades of being a professional actor, I working in film and television, you know, whatever, I have never worked on anything in my life that has had a broader demographic than the blacklist. Not even close. 
not even by half. Mm, interesting. Not even by half. And some of that it was. And I'm talking about even like the Marvel movies or even movies of mine that have been enormously successful. Not even close to the demographic this show gets. So, do I think that the ratings are accurate in terms of how many people are watching our show? Not for a second. <laughs> I mean, our show is watched by people who are amazingly enough, like seven years old to 90. I don't doubt, you know, I don't doubt it. And it's I think so crazy. So much every of that. single yeah. cultural and economic and, and national. And I mean, every, every, from every corner of society that I, that I can imagine encountering, mm-hmm. you know, it just has been staggering, actually. Mm. That's great. It's a nice, uh, you know, yeah. it's a nice professional milestone for you. Is there anything, you know, you've had a long career and, and much ahead. Is there anything that you really aspire to do at this point that you would, as an actor, as a, cre- as a creative person in the working in the arts? I'm incredibly short-sighted and a lousy planner. <laughs> I mean, I really, I really just have to get... I gotta get tomorrow worked out. <laughs> I can't. I gotta get tomorrow worked out. I mean, there are things that I love to do. You mm-hmm. know, I love. If you're talking about just work-related things, you know, I love doing theater. I love doing films, and you know, so those things are things to be done. You know, and I, you know, and I've never, and I also have never, by the way, done a sort of shorter. Uh, like a cable television show where you're doing 10 episodes and you have to tell the story for that season mm-hmm. in 10 A limited series. Or a 13, yeah. whatever, a limited series. I've never done that before. That would be a new and interesting thing to do. You know, as I said, I, when I did The Avengers, I, I'd never done anything like that before. I mean, that was... A big old action movie like, you know, with, whatever, yeah. You know, at this point in my career, and yet I was doing... Not even an action movie. I mean, the actual process of acting for that film, of creating this performance for that film, we're in darkness again. (laughs) The actual performing of that film was completely new to me. You know, working in CGI and, and, or not CGI, in in motion capture, working, I've forgotten the term for it. Working in motion capture or performance capture, I just had never... I had no concept of even what that was going to be like. Did you like the? Ch- was it a challenge? Did you enjoy? Yeah, that it was part a great it? challenge. It was a tremendous challenge. Uh, and you know, I and and uh, I was given the opportunity to to really pick and choose how involved I wanted to be. Uh, and I said I wanted to do all of it. In that movie? You're yes. saying, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I could have, they could have just done everything, like, I assume. I don't think they probably wanted to. Mm-hmm. But they could have just done, you know, created the character entirely from, on the computer, and I just go in and voice it. You know, or, or I just do the voice performance, and then they create the character entirely like that. Or you can do performance capture. And even performance capture, you can do a certain amount of it, and then they can just sort of extrapolate from that, or mm-hmm. you can do a lot of it. And I did as much as I could. Mm-hmm. I did as much as I possibly could. 
It sounds like a, a you know a new element to your craft. Well, I just wanted to see what it was like, and yeah. I wanted to you know, and 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 if I'd had more time, I probably could have done even more of it. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, it really. And so that was very new and different to me. I, I like that, and and so I think you know I. We'll see what comes next. I haven't really made a plan. <laughs> <laughs> My last question for you. Thank you so much for all your time. Is the New York of it all? Do you love working here? And do, do you think that the fact that this this show is shot here adds a texture, as adds a flavor to the blacklist? I, when I received this script, I a few other television projects had come across my threshold, and I. I was looking for something a shot in New York. That was a criteria for me. I'd been wanting to move back to New York for some time, and I was looking for a series that shot in New York. For a whole host of reasons. First of all, the impact it has on, creative impact it has on the series itself, um, but also it's my home it's where I wanted to go well you picked a good one I did thanks so much for taking the time to speak with us we will be eagerly awaiting the uh, more adventures of Red and his cohorts thanks again James Bader thank you very much Thanks for listening to this week's show. We'll be back next time with another great episode. We've got a fantastic doubleheader. First up are Jessica Williams and Phoebe Robinson, who've got their own podcast, Two Dope Queens, which has been turned into an HBO special. And then we'll talk to Alan Cumming, who's starring in CBS's new procedural, Instinct. See you next time. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.